American Catholic History is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hello, and welcome to American Catholic History. If you like our podcast, be sure to rate us and give us a review wherever you like your podcasts. I'm Noelle Heaster-Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Today we're talking about a religious sister known as the fastest nun in the West, a woman who would have given John Wayne and Clint Eastwood a run for their money. She actually did gain the respect of Billy the Kid, so yeah, I think you're right. She was Sister Blandina Sagale, and though she was barely more than five feet tall, she was one of the biggest people out in the Wild West. But her exploits in the Wild West were just one big part of her story. Right. We're actually going to do two episodes on Sister Blandina because after spending two decades staring down lynch mobs and outlaws, fighting for the rights of the natives, building schools and orphanages with her own hands, and of course, sharing the love of Christ with everyone who would listen, she was recalled to Cincinnati where she was just as much a force of nature for the immigrants and the poor in that town for many more decades. So we've got a lot to cover. Let's start with her beginnings. Sister Blandina was born Rosa Maria Segale in 1850 to very poor parents near Genoa in what was then the Kingdom of Sardinia. When she was just four years old, as the battles to unify Italy ramped up, her parents fled Italy for the United States, settling in Cincinnati, Ohio. Her education was with the Sisters of Charity, the order founded by St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, and when she was 16, she entered that religious community bringing her older sister, Maria Madalena, with her into religious life. Rosa was given the religious name Blandina, and Maria was named Justina. In short order, Blandina was sent to teach, interestingly, right here in Steubenville, Ohio. And since our parish, St. Peter, was the only Catholic parish in town at the time, that means she actually taught at St. Peter. So we had St. John Neumann serve at St. Peter as a circuit priest, and a few years later, Sister Blandina as a teacher. That's pretty cool. And it was while she was here in Steubenville in 1872 that she received a letter assigning her to Trinidad. The idyllic Caribbean island? Uh, no, that's what she initially thought and wrote to her sister telling her so, but she soon found out this meant the new mission recently set up by the Sisters of Charity in the frontier mining town of Trinidad, Colorado and she was being sent out there on her own. That's not idyllic. No, and what's more, some of the men in Steubenville who had been out west, upon hearing the news, pulled her aside and warned her about the dangers she would face. The cross-country trek, including train and stagecoach, would mean dealing with Indians, deadly weather, and, worst of all, cowboys. They warned her that no virtuous woman was safe around cowboys. Thus warned and prepared by her time in Steubenville, she set off all five foot nothing of her to charge into the American Wild West and, as she said, go where I am sent and do what needs to be done. At age 22. Right, 22. Now it's important to note that much of what we know about her time out West is from her own letters, which she began writing to her sister, Sister Justina, on the second day of her track. Yes, and this massive collection of letters was published in a book called At the End of the Santa Fe Trail. And I gotta say, as I was skimming through and reading chunks of it here and there, it is delightful. Her writing is quick and straightforward and frequently humorous in an understated way. We'll have a link to it in our bookstore at sqpn.com history. So the first leg of her journey from Cincinnati to Kansas City brought the first bit of her adventure. She asked for lodging at a convent in Kansas City 
but they were very skeptical that she was actually a sister. Right. She was traveling alone, and she hadn't brought any official identification of being a religious sister. So she slept on a couch in a locked parlor-type room with sisters of that convent standing guard through the night. She reflected on that experience, recalling that she herself had been hoodwinked a few years earlier while she was in Steubenville. She had been put in charge of a couple of Franciscan nuns who had come to town to do some fundraising, and it wasn't until the sisters had left that she found out, from the police tracking them, that the two sisters were actually a husband and wife con act. So she didn't blame those sisters for disbelieving her. Just to note, the Franciscan sisters we have here in Steubenville nowadays are very legit and very awesome. Yes, they are awesome. Uh, The next day, Sister Blandina stepped on a train heading for the western end of the line and found herself in a car full of Irishmen heading to where the work was, and many of them were smoking pipes. Upon her entry, they all removed their caps and stopped their smoking until she said to the two men seated near her, Please say to these good men that I am very fond of smoke from a pipe. Caps were replaced on heads and smoking resumed, and everyone relaxed. She said, I doubt which side was more pleased, they to have me or I to be with them. But perhaps the most harrowing, but quickly humorous part of her trek to Trinidad was at the very end. Yes, she had to take a stagecoach from where the train ended in the town of Kit Carson, Colorado, about 170 miles southwest to Trinidad. Mind you, It was early December, so she was well bundled up in blankets, or a comfort, as she called it. We will let her tell the story as related in her letters. She writes, The driver opened the stagecoach and said, You will have a traveling companion for some miles. In the door, by the light of the lantern, I saw a tall, lanky, Hoosier-like man wearing a broad-rimmed hat. On one arm, he had a buffalo robe. While I sat riveted, he got in, asked me if I would take part of his kiver, And before my fright permitted me to speak, he placed part of the buffalo robe over the comfort that enwrapped me and sat beside me on the rear seat. The driver closed the door and we were in utter darkness. By descriptions I had read, I knew he was a cowboy. With crushing vividness, no virtuous woman is safe near a cowboy came to me and made an act of contrition, concentrated my thoughts on the presence of God, thought of the archbishop's blessing, angels guard your steps and moved to such position as would put my heart in range with his revolver. I expected he would speak. I answer, he fire. The agony endured cannot be written. The silence and suspense unimaginable. Suddenly, from out the darkness, I heard, Madam. Sir? What kind of lady be you? A sister of charity. Whose sister? Everyone's sister. A person who gives her life to do good to others. Quaker-like, I reckon? No, not quite. By this time, I learned from his tone of voice that I had nothing to fear. He asked me a number of questions, all prompted by a conversation he had had with the driver before he came into the stage. In my turn, I asked him why he became a cowboy. He said he had read of cowboys and ran away from home to become one. Is your mother still living? Yes, I allow she is. Leastwise, she was when I left home six years ago. Have you written to her? No, madam, and I allow that's beastly. It is certainly unkind to one whom you can always trust and who I am sure loves you as much now as she did when you were a little fellow. His voice got husky. What do you say I ought to do? Right. Do so as soon as you get off this stage. 
tell her you will soon make her a visit and see to it that you keep your word. I will. So help me God. I was mighty feared to speak to you when I got in because the mule driver said you was more particular than any lady he ever seen. I allow I am powerful glad I spoke to you. To think that this lubberly, good-natured cowboy had made me undergo such mortal anguish. <sighs> Thus ends my voice acting career and thus thus basically ended her fear of cowboys. She would do a whole lot of other things that you wouldn't think she could do out west. Once she got to Trinidad, she joined the other three sisters of charity who were already there and began teaching. Now, Trinidad was barely a town. Mud huts dug out some structures, but not much to speak of. The school was a crumbling, windowless, vermin-infested adobe structure. When she found there was no money allotted to build a new school, she literally took a crowbar to the current school and began tearing off the roof to build a new one. When passersby would ask what in tarnation she was doing, she would tell them by way of putting them to work. She got a new school built through donations, cajoling volunteers, and her own hard work. It was like she was both Mother Maria and Homer Smith from the movie Lilies of the Field rolled into one. Right. Schmidt, you build a chapel. But she had no Schmidt, so she had to do it on her own. And it wasn't just the school building itself that she worked to reform. Her approach to discipline in the classroom diffused some very tense situations and utterly confounded some of the really tough boys who were constantly ready for a fight. She would not respond with violence, but rather with explanation and pointed questions, and then send them to their seats, utterly confused by what just happened. She was all about forgiveness, justice, and discussing problems rather than fighting. She hated violence. And that definitely extended to the kill-or-be-killed law of the West, Her approach was more love, that God may be loved. That manifested in two other crazy tales. First, she found out that the father of one of her students was in the local jail for having mortally wounded a young Irishman with a shotgun. A mob had gathered outside the jail waiting for word that the victim had died. They intended to storm the jail and lynch the murderer. It seemed the shooting was not intentional, or at least the shooter was not in his right mind when he did it. So Sister Blandina determined to stop the lynching. First, she went to the dying man and worked to help him find it in his heart to forgive the shooter. Then she went to the sheriff and asked that he join her in escorting the shooter past the bloodthirsty mob to the victim's bed where he would confess and beg forgiveness. The sheriff was taken aback and asked incredulously, what has any sheriff here ever been able to do to prevent a mob from carrying out its intent? Sister Blandina replied, be the first sheriff to make the attempt. The sheriff must have decided that they had nothing really to lose, so he went along with it. The plan worked perfectly. The young Irishman forgave the man before he died. And then the shooter remained safely in jail until his case could go to trial and he was sent to prison, later being released to an asylum for the reasons of mental illness. One of the shooter's daughters, many years later, wrote to Sister Blandina thanking her for saving her father's life. And lynching as a common practice in Trinidad effectively ended. This incredible intervention was dramatized in a 1966 episode of the show Death Valley Days, which was narrated by Ronald Reagan. The episode was titled The Fastest Nun in the West, and that title has stuck to Sister Blandina ever since. She was a force of nature. Sure was. The other crazy story involves a group of her better students whom she called the Vigilant Club. 
she had specifically charged these students with alerting her about anyone who was in serious trouble or who needed help of any sort. She would see to it that they got that help. Some of these students came to her because they found that one of the henchmen of the outlaw, Billy the Kid, had been wounded and left to die in a hut on the outskirts of town. Now, this was the original Billy the Kid, not the second outlaw who went by that name and whom Billy Joel sang a ballad about. Right. The two Billy the Kids, or Billy's the Kids, Mm. were contemporaries. The second one was the more famous one. Sister Blandino was connected to the original Billy the Kid. Okay, so that's stipulated for posterity. Sister went to this wounded bandit and nursed his wounds, and she and the vigilant students brought him food. She kept coming to him without ever introducing the topic of faith and belief. When he finally brought up the topic, he said that if she'd come to him preaching all the time, he'd have sent her away to let him die in peace. But since she just came and cared for him so tenderly, he finally mustered the courage and humility to ask if God could forgive his many sins. Sister responded with scriptural references. If your sins were as scarlet or as numerous as the sands on the seashore, turn to me, says the Lord, and I will forgive. The man pondered that response, and they had many more conversations. He took some instruction in the faith from her, learning some prayers. And those who were with him on the day he died reported that he said an act of contrition and died saying the prayers that she had taught him. Sister Blandina wrote, He is in God's just yet merciful hands. This whole episode got back to Billy the Kid, who returned to the town bent on killing and scalping the three doctors who had refused to treat the wounded man. But before committing the murders, Billy sought out Sister Blandina to thank her for her kindness and promised that he would do anything she wished. She asked that he spare the three doctors' lives. Billy left town without shedding blood. And her connection to Billy the Kid had a second act as well. Later, when she was on a stagecoach, a cry went up that riders were approaching. The men in the stage knew that most likely meant bandits, and it most likely was Billy the Kid. They all drew their revolvers ready to defend themselves as best they could. Sister Blandina, of course, had no revolver. But as the riders neared, she leaned to the window and adjusted her bonnet so Billy could see her face. Billy saw Sister square in the face, tipped his cap, and rode away. The stage was spared. Sister was only in Trinidad for five years before being sent to Santa Fe, New Mexico, where her directive was, do as you did in Trinidad. So she did. Right. She built schools, an orphanage, and other institutions. Though the city fathers had not yet thought it right to install a city water and sewage system nor gas service, she saw that the future included both. So she insisted that her buildings include plumbing in the walls for when those services were made available. Then she was sent to Albuquerque, where she did more of the same, founding the hospital, which was the main Catholic hospital in that city until fairly recently. Her 21 years in the Southwest were also filled with caring for the Mexican and American Indian populations and advocating for their rights. Many were defrauded of their land or outright robbed of it by American settlers, and she wrote about how utterly appalling the tactics used were. She fought those injustices early and often, and with the same energy and dedication she brought to everything else. In the early 1890s, she had a second stint in Trinidad, By this point, Trinidad had grown considerably, and the school she'd built was thriving. She returned to teach, but due to anti-Catholic sentiment, the local government prohibited the sisters from wearing their habits while teaching. Sister Blandina fought hard against this injustice, but lost. 
1892, she was called back to the mother house in Cincinnati, ending the Wild West portion of her life. Now, I must interject before we close out. We only gave some of the highlights of the stories of her time out west. She was a spitfire. Do yourself a favor and get at the end of the Santa Fe Trail and read her letters. They are delightfully humble, accessible, and full of love. And when she returned to Cincinnati from the Southwest, her story was far from over. She still had 49 years of life ahead of her and lots more of going where she was sent and doing what was needed. And we'll leave that story for our next episode. You've been listening to American Catholic History on the StarQuest Production Network. If you've been enjoying our podcast, please help us out by giving us a five-star rating and a good review and support the work of SQPN. Your support at sqpn.com slash give helps make sure American Catholic history and all of the StarQuest podcasts remain available. To learn more about Sister Blandina, to find previous episodes, and to send feedback, please visit sqpn.com slash history. You can email us at history at sqpn.com or find us on social media at facebook.com slash American Catholic History or follow StarQuest on Twitter at SQPN. I'm Noelle Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History on StarQuest. I reckon.